Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Hey, Jordan Harbinger here. Subscribe to the only show that will show you how to apply the world's greatest ideas from the most striking minds. After presenting more than a thousand interviews, I couldn't be more compelled to introduce you to the Jordan Harbinger Show. We've got spies and CEOs, athletes and authors from Kobe Bryant to Malcolm Gladwell, Tony Hawk and Howie Mandel to the chairman of Google, founders of LinkedIn and Instagram, antiquities smugglers, con men, brilliant scientists, national heroes, and even the head of the CIA. Listed as Apple's best of 2018 and countless other awards that, let's be honest, you probably don't care about right now. So come and have a listen for yourself and join me as we exploit the superpowers of the world's most incredible thinkers, amazing achievers, and iconic change makers with their insights delivered right into your mind. You'll get that blueprint of their brilliance each week so that you can learn to live what you listen. Subscribe right now to The Jordan Harbinger Show, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you're listening now. Napa know-how. At Napa Auto Parts stores and Napa Auto Care centers, get a $25 prepaid Visa card when you get any Napa automotive battery. It's the best deal for some of the best batteries from some of the best car people around. But we might be a little partial. Anywho, pick up any Napa automotive battery and save 25 bucks. Do it yourself or have it done for you. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores and Napa Auto Care Centers. While supplies last, offer NZ3120. If you are bummed that Jonah Hill isn't the Riddler, don't worry. We got a new one. On top of that, we've got more quotes from Martin Scorsese, this time about director's cuts. And yes, a new trailer for another Stephen King adaptation, The Outsider. Happy Friday, everyone. I am really excited about the variety of topics on today's show, and I can't wait to introduce Silas and Riley, and we're going to discuss them all. But first, got to blow through this call sheet right now. There's so much good stuff here, and we're kicking it off, of course, with the Riddler news. So we had just found out that Jonah Hill opted out of playing the Riddler in the Batman, but we already have his replacement. Paul Dano has been cast as Edward Nashton, a.k.a. the Riddler, in the Matt Reeves directed movie starring Robert Pattinson. More on that in just a little bit. But we're continuing on the Robert Pattinson train because he had an interview with the New York Times and he shared some thoughts regarding whether or not he views Batman as a hero. Here's what he said to that outlet when they mentioned that Pattinson had said we should be skeptical of any actor who wants to play the hero. Here's the quote. Batman's not a hero, though. He's a complicated character. I don't think I could ever play a real hero. There's always got to be something a little bit wrong. I think it's because one of my eyes is smaller than the other one. All right, moving on to another quote right now. Here, we're back with Martin Scorsese again, who apparently has no interest in releasing longer versions of his movies, and he says the term director's cut is often misunderstood or misused. Here's what he told EW about the topic. The director's cut is the film that's released. Unless it's been taken away from the director by the financiers and the studio, Scorsese says, the director has made their decisions based 
based on the process they were going through at the time, there could be money issues, there could be somebody that dies while making the picture, the studio changes heads and the next person hates it. Sometimes a director says, I wish I could go back and put it all back together. All these things happen, but I do think once the die is cast, you have to go with it and say, that's the movie I made under those circumstances. Now we're moving on to a Warner Brothers box office story. So Joker is doing quite well right now, but the studio does have to uh, maybe be a little worried about how hard the Goldfinch is bombing at the box office across the board. At the point of this recording, the movie sits at just north of $5 million domestically. And then at the foreign box office, it's got something like $4 million, which puts it just north of $9 million. Yeah, that's a, a big bummer after a month of release. We're going to discuss that more in a bit. On the bright side, though, I'm so excited about this last item on the call sheet because it's a new trailer for a Stephen King adaptation, The Outsider. This one is going to be an HBO limited series. We're going to get to see it in January 2020, and it's got an incredible ensemble that is led by Ben Mendelsohn and also includes Cynthia Erivo and Jason Bateman, too. This is a great lineup, a book that I just finished reading, and I couldn't be more thrilled to talk about this trailer. And just in case you didn't watch the trailer you can go to collider.com after the show and check it out for yourself but i made you guys watch i was so excited to have you guys watch it what did you think about it are you excited are you kidding me i'm excited (laughs) for any stephen king adaptation especially for this limited series on hbo look at that cast i'm sorry jason bateman and ben mendelson you signed me up immediately the the plot the, whatever the heck is going on in this because I know you're reading the book Perry and I can't wait I, you know I think I have an of, hour I think I have an hour maybe even less yes. left in my audiobook we have a long history now of sharing Stephen King books Doctor do. Sleep all the all the things that we get excited for this is I I'm I'm currently going through a rewatch of season one of True Detective so if there if if HBO if there's any indication that they're going to do something as special as this pair it with a Stephen King novel. This looks fantastic. I can't wait. Are you into it, Silas? I am. I, you know what? I, I am kind of a Stephen King novice. I, I've seen a lot of Stephen King movies. I haven't really read Stephen King. Huh. Um, that okay. really surprises so, me. Let's cancel movie talk real quick and let's <laughs> turn on, it around. Guys. And it's all about Stephen King books. Sorry. Go. But I, I feel like it would it would suit your your taste I know, in uh, storytelling. It does. So it's well. like Stephen King is like it's sort of like anime. Like it's like I think it's really cool, and I'm glad that there are people that are super into it. And a lot of what I've seen, I really like. But I'm not an expert myself. Right. Okay. Um, I'll get there one day. Yeah. Um, but what I think is really cool is just uh, watching the the trailer. I didn't realize there was a Stephen King adaptation at first. And putting his name there does something really cool mm-hmm. in a kind of meta way where all of a sudden it might be a supernatural solution. And it's not necessarily, and there's nothing in the trailer that says, oh, this is a supernatural story. Uh, but I kind of like that that just having his name there makes yeah. it something different. I get that. Yeah. I, it's crazy that because I this was not on my radar whatsoever when I picked up the uh, the book or the audio book. I just put a call out on Twitter and said, I got another long run ahead of me. How do I fill the time? And the most people suggested The Outsider. So I queued it up. And I think I burned through this entire thing in one week. I think wow. that doesn't just speak to how much I've ran, but it also speaks to how good it is because I can't stop listening listening to it. Yeah, this is one of those I can't believe I missed it cuz I'm not a Stephen King novice. I mean, I I but this has the hallmarks of true crime kind of serial killer stuff, mm-hmm. but you're 
absolutely right. When you put Stephen King's name on it, what are we getting? Is it going to be supernatural? Could it be in a world like 112263 that it's supernatural? Sure, but there's more of a kind of a less ghosts and Pennywise killer clown things and more like, you know, moral choices that lead to like alternate universes. Like, what are we getting with this? And I, and I know not you're not going to tell me. I'm but not going to spoil anything, sure, obviously. Sure. But one of the things that has always caught my eye, even before listening to it, because I listen to a lot of Stephen King audiobooks, so all of my suggestions on uh, on the Amazon app, they're all Stephen King things. And the artwork for this has always caught my eye, what yeah. the outsider looks like. And even as that part of it is described in the book, it's it's an image that's seared into your brain, and I'm not going to tell you anything about what it means, but I think that part is very effective. But it's also how uh, Stephen King explores the more, you know, the, the deeply human qualities in the story that could be applicable to people in the middle of a really intense mystery like this, or just even anyone in real life. Just this idea of, you know, the assumptions you might make about someone and whether right. or not to believe what a certain someone says versus what someone else says. It's those things kind of give it a really grounded feel. And I think that makes the whole scenario all the more terrifying. Yeah, I can see that. I can see because just based on at least the concept, it, you know, and in the trailer, Jason Bateman is accused of a murder and but he wasn't there. And so it's automatically I'm assuming that everybody, this town that they live in is casting mm -hmm. yep you're guilty that's it but then the evidence is starting to show something different that's my type of stuff and if it's through the eyes of Stephen King, I mean, come on. And then we haven't even spoken about uh, Cynthia Erivo stepping in as Holly, which is so exciting. Uh, that's one of my favorite Stephen King characters ever. And I feel like now that I'm going to watch this and now that I'm just about done reading The Outsider, I feel like I need to go on to Mr. Mercedes next. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, you Have haven't you? read that? Yeah. Okay. Okay, so that what Got it. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Yes, you do. Okay. I mean, it's not a spoiler. Originally, not. No, when no, I no. was talking about The Outsider, just to, to friends casually, I left out the part that she was in it. But in this trailer, you She's see. She's in it. Yeah, okay. Cynthia Erivo is in it as her. That just clicked for me. So, yeah. okay. So, you would love Miss Because it was Mercedes. a surprise, too, when I got to that part in the book. Okay. There it is. Yeah, <laughs> Tyler's just sitting there. Have you ever seen Mr. Like, Mercedes? <laughs> have you watched any Mr. Mercedes? I have not, no. It's another, another recommendation. All right, wait. Let's help Silas out right now. Mm. It doesn't have to necessarily be your favorite Stephen King book, but at this very moment, if you could recommend just one to Silas, what would it be and why? Gosh, that's tough. I mean, I'm between... It is tough. I'm between... You know, when you suggest a book by Stephen King like It, for instance, which is what I'm leaning towards, that is a thick book that has a lot of crazy ideas going for it. If you've seen the two movies, obviously, It Chapter 1 and Chapter 2, you know that there's some weirdness going in. Misery and Pet Cemetery are two fantastic books, two fantastic adaptations, depending on which one you watch, the remake for Pet Cemetery or the original, mm -hmm. which I prefer. Misery, the Rob Reiner film, fantastic. But they're shorter so books, so you can get an idea of it. Uh, uh, 11 22, 63. <laughs> I know, is, it's so that, good. That's a thick one as well. Uh, Dark Half, that's another good one. Oh Dark my Half God. is great I'm going to go for classic Stephen King and a good read um, that's not too daunting, Pet Cemetery. All right. A, a solid suggestion right yeah. there. Let me ask this. So what is a book you would recommend? Assume I've seen every movie adaptation. Okay. A book that like is a real surprise that is Got a pure book surprise. Pure book surprise? Yeah. Like not adapted? Or Something it's like, that, where, like I won't, where won't you... 
completely about, untouched. What about where something completely untouched? Well, I've never se- I never watched the eleven twenty two sixty three miniseries, so that was a little I, untouched for me. Yeah, I couldn't get through it because it didn't live up to the book. Um, it. I think eleven twenty two sixty three might be my favorite Stephen King book because <gasps> of everything it. that he does. Um, yeah, go the Perry. Institute, his latest book. Oh, really? Yeah, it's okay. great. I it's read great. Them. That's what I listened to right before The Outsider. Like super engaging. It's got. Uh, it's got a touch of stand by me to it, some supernatural elements to it. Uh, I like how Stephen King writes detectives and cop mm-hmm. characters, and that's an element of it. Highly recommend that one. Originally, I was thinking to tell you to go and read Dr. Sleep just mm-hmm. because it's right around the corner. It's a phenomenal book. Then I started going down the path. Well, then you have to read The Shining first. But instead, because of what we were talking about before, and in this situation, I think if you've seen the adaptation, you could still get something new out of the book, and it's Cujo. Cujo, I think, gives a little more, uh, you know, a a little more life to Cujo. Like You don't necessarily fully sympathize with with a rabid dog, but you understand that it wasn't his fault that he got there, and it's kind of sad when you read some of that from Cujo's perspective. So I'm going to recommend that. Okay, Cujo, all right, Pet Cemetery. (laughs) I might might go back to Shining because it is very different than the Stanley Kubrick film that everybody knows Mm -hmm. and loves. It is actually very, very different. So, and it's classic Stephen yeah. King. So you might want to go there. Then you're ready for Doctor Sleep. Yeah. Well, that's also a good example too of having seen a movie but still being able to get something new out of the book. So The Shining is exactly. a great example. Yeah, of that The Shining too. it might be my my go to right now. All right, yeah. <laughs> I, I changed my mind. There it is. I hope we didn't overwhelm you with your homework. No, <laughs> it, yeah, we, we got to move on to a very big topic right now. We're gonna do like a giant Batman section right now. We're gonna talk a little bit about. Robert Pattinson's comments regarding whether or not he sees the character as a hero, but we're going to kick it off with this Riddler casting news. First off, before we even touch Paul Dano, let's talk a little bit about Jonah Hill. When you saw that headline the other day, what was the first thing that crossed your mind? Were you disappointed or moving on to the next? Yeah, I was I was definitely disappointed. Um, but there was kind of mixed reports, and then yesterday I realized um, or that there was this news that broke that he did walk away, that Seth Rogen was maybe being looked at as Penguin. Really? Did you hear that? I didn't hear that. Yeah. I'm going to Google that. Yeah. Boris Kidd over at uh, THR, uh, kind of, and maybe it's Justin Kroll as well. These are two of my go-to guys that know their stuff, and Jonah Hill as, huh. as Riddler and or Penguin, we were going back and forth, like who would be, which character would he be good for? And then when I saw the report come out that Jonah Hill passed, they couldn't make the deal for Riddler, from what I'm assuming, and that Seth Rogen was maybe up for Penguin, I was like, that's very interesting. I was very bummed because I didn't want Jonah Hill as Penguin. I liked him as Riddler. Yeah. I thought that was fantastic casting. It was outside the box for me. I was like, wow, that, that is intriguing to me. So uh, I was bummed when when they couldn't do it because I haven't seen Jonah Hill really dig into some kind of evil things. Mm-hmm. Seth Rogen as Penguin, that's intriguing as well, yeah. but I think we can get to the next kind of casting news to discuss all of it. So just that uh, that tweet briefly is from Boris Kitten. He had, uh, he had posted on the Seth Rogen Batman rumor, there were some initial talks for him to play Penguin while WB courted Hill for Riddler. And then in parentheses, once they settled on him actually playing Riddler and not Penguin, but that didn't work out. Uh, yeah. That would have been an interesting pairing. But as far as, uh, as far as Jonah Hill goes, yeah, I was bummed. I think it was just because I was really enjoying entertaining that idea and starting to picture 
feature him in the role, and I, I took to that very, very easily. It's not to say that there aren't great other options out there, including Paul Dano. So, you know, I think my disappointment was a little bit of a blip on the radar. And then, you know, move on to another thing. And who knows? Maybe this means Jonah Hill is going to go off and direct something new now. Sure, there it is. But do you like Paul Dano? As I'm into it. That, yeah. So I'll bring this back around. Jonah Hill, bummed he's not the Riddler. Paul Dano is Riddler. That's what I'm looking for. I love it even more than Jonah Hill. I think he is perfect. I think of Prisoners, Paul Dano, and There Will Be Blood, Paul Dano, and I'm like, give it all to me. I think it's perfect casting. I can't wait to see that. So I think they made a great call in pulling him in. Silas, how does Paul Dano's casting make you rethink what you were initially picturing for Riddler in this movie? I am still, like, I I still keep looking at all these trade reports and wonder, like, oh, you know, the trouble with trade reports is everybody speaks from a point of, like, well, I found this out. Yeah. And it's not always right. Mm -hmm. And there is something that still makes me think that Jonah Hill was not up for Riddler but for Calendar Man. Ooh. Oh, I forgot you introduced that topic on here. Okay. It's oh just like, I, like before they even confirmed Matt Reeves, everything I heard about this movie was it's long Halloween and it's a trilogy of films. And I hope so. <laughs> we talked about that the other we day did. on Movie Talk with we Koi. Did. Koi Jandru uh, is with us. I love the, the long Halloween. And if, it's, if that's what we're getting, and if you're saying that we could get a Calendar Man and it's Jonah Hill, that's great casting. Well, it's also like it's perfect for Jonah Hill because Calendar Man is a goofy Batman villain that was right. reinvented as a serious, scary character. And that's Jonah Hill as an actor. Yeah. He's, he's a comedic actor that was like sort of a joke in his earlier things and was very funny but has now proven that he's, he's very capable. So do you apply on. that thought on the character now to Paul Dano? Do you think that he's not in fact the Riddler and he could be Calendar Man? I don't know. I, I think that what is sort of interesting about the dynamic between Calendar Man and Riddler is uh, in Long Halloween, there are crimes being committed that are happening on holidays. Yeah. And that's the MO of Calendar mm-hmm. Man. But he's already in prison. So Batman's going to get information. Yeah. So the idea that, like, in many ways, you could just make that the Riddler. The Riddler could be in prison and he could give Batman riddles on how to solve whatever ongoing crime is happening. Um, there are ways to mix it around, but oh man, I, I so all right now my my brain is going. If I do think Dano is going to be Riddler because all the reports are you know everything's yeah. been centered around Riddler. It seems like he's going to be the main villain, but I like what what you're talking about with Long Halloween. Maybe there is going to be this trilogy. I don't know. I mean, this is I love this because Long Halloween is one of my favorite adaptation or favorite runs in the Batman comic world. So maybe we do get another casting. Probably, I think Hill is gone, though. I think they couldn't work out salary, and that's just – I get it. Yeah. You know, go, it's, go it's, get your money, Jonah Hill, but it's if not it didn't work out – It's not entirely clear. I think Jeff even wrote in his article it's unclear why he passed, and then he cited a couple of uh, possible reasons here. Initial reports claimed Hill asked for $10 million, which is more than twice what they're paying Pattinson. Wow. So it's possible that the decision came down to money, but then he goes on – Multiple sources have told Collider that Hill was in talks to play the Riddler, as Reeves is said to have approached at least one other actor for the somewhat smaller role of the Penguin. Shortly after posting, we were told that the role was a sticking point in the negotiations as Hill had hoped to play the Penguin when things didn't work out for this other actor. A separate individual reached out to say that we had it backwards, that Reeves wanted to cast Hill as the Penguin, but Hill wanted to play the Riddler, who is said to be the primary villain in the script. I, yeah. 
Okay. <laughs> it's very confusing. Remember that scene when they won the Emmy for Stranger Things and Winona Ryder was standing there going like this all over the place? That was me just now. I have I no idea. Never, I'll never forget that. But more specifically, I'll never forget the person who posted a gif of that with the pizzas all over the place. Pizzas and then the math <laughs> equations overhead. That was just literally what I went through. So... I have no idea what that says, but okay, fine. <laughs> Here's a much easier question for you. So now that we've got Paul Dano reportedly play, playing uh, the Riddler and Seth Rogen is not an option for the Penguin, who are you keeping your fingers crossed snags the Penguin role? Well, that would be Andy Serkis. Andy Serkis yes. is, yes. I think, would be a perfect Penguin. And if we are talking about, I keep going back to what you're saying about Long Halloween, if we're going to set up a trilogy... And it can be that one villain is the main villain, like Riddler, Paul Dano, and set up a smaller role, like, let's mm-hmm. say, Andy Serkis comes in, sets up Penguin, becomes the main villain of that second movie. And then the third movie, maybe it all comes back around to Calendar Man, and we get another actor that we, we haven't heard yet. But, yeah, but th- that's taken away my long-winded response. I think Andy Serkis would make a fantastic Penguin, and that's who I'm crossing my fingers for. I will agree with that. I like that choice. Does anybody else come to mind? You know, I, I saw a suggestion on Twitter the other day that was uh, 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 Eddie Marsan. Oh. Uh, I like that. Eddie Marsan doesn't get enough love. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's so it's good in everything I've seen him in, and I feel like he's just, you know, like he's well-known, but he's not as much of a household name as I think he deserves to be. Yeah. That's, that's, a, a, good, that's a good call. That's a good pick. I, I also, though, wouldn't mind somebody, like, totally out of left field. I think the Penguin is a character that uh, can be reinvented very easily. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the extreme of like, oh, he should look like a monster and he should look like a penguin like the Danny DeVito version or a just, oh, he's a he's a mobster that calls himself the penguin. Right. Okay. Which I think you, you you check both of those boxes with circus because you could you don't necessarily have to do motion capture, obviously, for a penguin. It could be more of that mob boss kind of thing, but then put a little bit of a hooked nose. Well, he and, can do a little of everything. I yeah. mean, even, you know, the penguin also requi- requires a degree of physicality be brought to the role. And I think his motion capture experience suggests that he's capable of that. Yeah, and I'm not even suggesting motion capture for this. I would love Andy Circus, just the actor yeah. Andy Circus. It's I mean, it's about time. It, we it, got more of that. It really is. I mean, you know, him as Claw in Black yeah. Panther, you saw it. I mean, I, I thought he stole King Kong as the cook in the King Kong movie. He's just, there's a physicality about him that's just amazing um, that we don't need that. But I would love to see him in great costume. What's the look of this world that Reeves is creating, which I'm sure it feels like it's going towards noir and, mm-hmm. you know, hovering in and focusing on and leaning in on the world's greatest detective angle. You could put Circus in there as Penguin, as a mob boss, and we would be just fine. All right, let's loop in those Robert Pattinson quotes now yes. and just figure out, you know, maybe what... I, I feel I feel like such an idiot reading into these quotes after, in the end, he's like, yeah, the internet always goes and reads into my quotes. But, you know, at least at the very beginning, it does seem like a very reasonable take on the Batman, that he is not a traditional hero. I mean... Really, anybody out there in any kind of story who is a traditional, just like plain old good hero down to their core, they're, they're not that interesting. Exactly. And I love that he said this because I believe Pattinson is 100 percent correct. Batman has always been a vigilante. He has gone outside the law to bring justice to criminals because of his past. So Batman has a screw loose. Bruce Wayne has always had a little bit of trauma from losing his parents and then 
that has affected him on the inside to go to great lengths to 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 what what am I trying to say to avenge his their death so you have to have a little something off and to Pattinson's credit he doesn't want to take roles that are just very simple and straightforward and jump off the pages oh I get this moral arc or this moral compass this character has he wants something that challenges him Mm -hmm. and Bruce Wayne is that character he likes it and so I couldn't agree more I love that he said this I love that he's looking at it this way as Bruce Wayne and or Batman not necessarily being a hero because that's the kind of stuff I loved that Zack Snyder mined in Batman v Superman is that Batman was a vigilante exacting justice, and that's why Superman had to step in because he didn't like that. Superman is more of a hero that jumps off of the page, fight for truth, justice, the American way, and Wonder Brothers doesn't know how to, to really do their Superman right now. So it always comes back um, to I, I, I will always bring it back to Superman. You know me. <laughs> Um, but this, but just going back to what what Pattinson said, I love that that's the take, and that's what got him excited. Mm-hmm. So I think we're going to get. He even mentioned one eye being smaller than the other, just having a weird like looking at him. <laughs> Lean into it, man. That's yeah, what really. I love. I'll I, take it. I've never noticed that. I'm I sure either. he's just like messing around, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Does his comment change how you potentially picture uh, Matt Reeves as Batman, or do you? Kind of figured that this is what they were doing. Very much in line with how I picture Batman. Yeah. So I, I, I very much appreciate it. I'm a big Superman fan. Me too, man. Mm. Um, and Batman is always like, you know, he's he's kind of a whiny emo kid. Like, <laughs> yeah, he lost his parents, but so did Superman mm-hmm. and his entire planet. And then did not get raised in a place of extreme privilege and didn't turn out to be this brooding asshole. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> That's what... Superman, Batman, they're 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 yin and yang, man. That's yeah. what that's what I love about the characters and, and DC for me has always had a little bit more complex characters um in the pages. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've seen the adaptations with the DCEU, so you know, some have hit, some haven't, depending on who you are. But I've always loved that about Superman and Batman. And that's why I I would love to see this version and, and I'm wondering and hoping Reeves does something special with this Batman movie that gets people excited mm. and Warner Brothers. Where am I going with this? That's right. <laughs> for Man of Steel 2. Thank you. <laughs> I, I also always liked that the Batman is a human being who does not have superpowers. Yep. But more than anything, he wants to be inhuman and he wants to have superpowers. And Superman's exactly the opposite. He, he has these powers. He kind of just wants to be Clark Kent. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least my favorite version of Superman. I think in Absolutely. the movies, the Christopher Reeve Superman kind of hates Clark Kent. Uh, but m- my favorite version of Superman is the idea that, like, I think he has in, in the 90s comic, Clark Kent said at some point that his dream isn't getting along with the Justice League. It's writing the great American novel. Mm, that's cool. We're well, probably like going to have to wait a really long time, sadly, to know if we're getting Superman back on the big screen. <laughs> we're going to have to wait kind of a long time to see how all this uh, turns out because the Batman hits theaters June 25th, 2021. Hopefully right around the corner, though, is a Penguin casting announcement because I want to know who's going to be in that role. But you know what? While we wait, we're going to entertain you with even more Collider video content like this stuff. Check out this promo. Hey everyone, John Roca here, the host of Collider Mailbag. A new episode drops every Saturday and Sunday in your face and in your ears, answering the questions from you fans about the world of entertainment, film, and television. Me and- 
and great guests from our sphere do the best to answer your questions from Twitter, from Instagram, and of course, email as well every Saturday and Sunday. What's up, Collider fans? Ryan Satin here from ProWrestlingSheet.com, where you can find the top stories throughout the week in the world of professional wrestling. If you're a wrestling fan like myself, then you'd be doing yourself a disservice by not checking out all the shows we do every week on YouTube.com slash C slash Wrestling Sheet. In particular, on Wednesdays, we've got a SmackDown recap show hosted by John Roca and myself, where we pick apart and, and talk about every little thing that happened on the blue brand. So do yourself a favor and go subscribe at youtube.com slash C slash wrestling sheet. It is a special day on movie talk because there's not just one panel segment left. We got to, but this is a little bit of a bummer of a story because right now we're talking about how badly the goldfinch flopped. So that opening weekend was not a good sign, but this, this was really disastrous for Warner Brothers. Did you think it had any chance of legging it out, making some money back at the international box office? Does this movie's position surprise you at this point? It's very surprising for me because I remember leading up to the release, everybody was talking about it, especially the trailer. A lot of people were very excited, and it was when the reviews started coming out that I think that's when... Everything went to you know what, and I so I'm not surprised that it bombed as much as it did. I really think a lot of it had to do with the word of mouth going around because it, like I've never I've I've been doing this for a while now. When I see a trailer, when I hear people talking about this movie a lot, going this is my most anticipated, I can't wait to see this, and then word starts coming out that it's really bad critics wise and, and audience members. It's no surprise that it bombed. Were you surprised at all, Silas? Did you see it? No, I didn't. Oh. And I, I mean, it's one of those movies that, like, I don't even really know what it's about. Uh, mm. And I think that was kind of the problem. The the ads were the acclaimed book. And it's like, well, I didn't read the book. Right. And if I did read the book, I'm not even sure I would necessarily want to see a movie adaptation. Yeah. The book is a lot. So I had a weird experience with the book because I purposely started reading the book before going to TIFF to see the movie and to do some interviews for it because I wanted to be semi in the know. Then I saw the movie and I didn't like it. And I was thinking to myself, well, now I don't need to continue the book. I did go back to the book. The book is excellent. It's yeah. really, really good. Admittedly, I do see some of the same flaws in the book, but I think because you have so much more time in the book to, you know, build out locations and characters and transitions from one thing to the next, I think it works better in that medium than what we got here. But, I mean, that's not to say it was a not adaptable movie. I think they just needed to maybe switch up a couple things to make certain uh, transitions in the movie not as jarring as they were. But the one thing that really bums me out about its box office total is the fact that even though I didn't like the movie, and a lot of people out there didn't like the movie, I don't think that it's that bad that that really rock bottom number reflects the quality of the movie. There's still yeah. some good in it. And I feel like you could look at a number like, like a $2.7 million opening and say, well, that thing must be an absolute piece of trash. No, it's not. There's a couple of very good performances that I wish some people did give a chance to. And you know, it, it's a movie shot by Roger Deakins. There's great frames in it also. You know, it's interesting. A lot of, a lot of the times where movies like this, based on books, well-known, critically acclaimed books. I look to my mother, 
who does watch these movies. And she literally read this book, loves this book, was like, are you excited for The Goldfinch? And I said, yes, huh. yes, I'm excited. I've heard great things. You know, people are really excited, the trailer. And then it was, this is why I use this reference, the word of mouth got to yeah. my mother of all people. And she's like, I'm going to wait for video. Oh, she didn't see it. Didn't see it. Didn't want to see it because huh. she heard, she... She watches her Access Hollywoods and her Entertainment Tonight's and gets those reviews there. And so she's like, I'm going to skip it this time. Aww. So, yeah. It, that, that bums me out It a does. Yeah. Bums me out, too. I, I do wonder, too, how if, are people trained for this Oscar cycle where if a movie comes out and you know it's going for awards mm. contention – you don't necessarily need to rush to see it because if it's going to be up for any of these awards, it'll be in theaters two months from now. Maybe. And I'm surprised this one's still in theaters at all. Yeah. No, me too. I have to check. Uh, I have to check with my uncle. He is my go-to as far as you know books like this being adapted to film. I'm curious if he read it and he ever saw it. So, what do you guys think we can take from this situation? Is there any you know lesson to be learned that Warner Brothers and other studios could keep in mind now? You use something like not nice in your mind. I I see that look on your face. There's something funny about like comparing it to the Joker, which is also Warner Brothers, where you have the Goldfinch and the studio's like, you have to see this movie. It's acclaimed. And everyone's like, no, thank you. And the Joker, it's like, oh, no, we got to be careful with this. People could get hurt. And everyone's like, we got to see that one. Yeah. (laughs) It's really hard to, to answer your question, Perry. I don't know if there's an answer. I don't know what... Warner Brothers could have done differently because there was a lot of buzz behind this movie based on the book, based on the trailers and what people are saying, uh, wanting to see. I mean, look at that cast. The cast yeah. is phenomenal. So I don't know why this could fail because you're right. I think the math doesn't really necessarily line up for, you know, bad reviews, audience members not going to see it. It opened – I think it's just a crowded marketplace. I think that there is Joker to be to contend with. Um, you know, there's, we're in the middle of October. There's been some big, you know, some horror movies out there. It chapter two comes to mind. So who knows? It really is a a fickle thing. The box office, which you have a better handle on than I ever will. Yeah. It, in the, in this case, I think it comes down to the quality of the movie, which sometimes can't be controlled. You know, mm-hmm. a, a movie is a thing with a million different moving parts, a lot of people involved. Everyone could have the best intentions in the world, and sometimes it just doesn't come together. Yeah. It's not anyone's fault. It's not, you know, someone, you know, purposely going down a dumb path for adapting a story like this. Sometimes it just doesn't work out. I think that was partially the case here, but... I think if Warner Brothers and all studios, for that matter, could apply anything to future releases, I would say make sure you screen something like this well in advance of submitting it to TIFF. Because I do think that if you do not, if you have something that looks like an awards package and you premiere it at a festival, it creates certain assumptions and certain expectations. And I think that's part of the reason that this thing just got like steamrolled more so than anything. And also because, you know, maybe everybody out there isn't paying attention to the Toronto International Film Festival. But when you got a movie like this that is opening wide right when the festival is happening, I do feel like all of the reviews came out of there yeah. and it was it was the spotlight. You yeah. couldn't have put more attention on reviews than to premiere this movie at TIFF and then have it come hit theaters immediately after. Yeah, that's, that's where I'm leaning. Yeah. Just some thoughts. Just some ideas. Good ideas. Yeah. Hopefully good ideas. We want good things for movies out there. So yeah. 
Hopefully they can uh, they can push a different adaptation in the future with a gigantic ensemble like this in a better direction. Yeah. All right. Let's talk a little bit about this new set of Martin Scorsese quotes, which I'm so happy are oh, about Marvel. What do you say now? Oh God. <laughs> Nothing Never about mind. Marvel, I swear. <laughs> um, Scorsese's talking a little bit right now about the idea of a director's cut and. What does a director's cut mean? Do we need them? Why do we get them kind of thing? But first off, just because I do th- I do think that there's a lot of different definitions of a director's cut floating around out there. So when you hear director's cut, what crosses your mind? What do you think of? I think primarily as a brand. Like yeah. it's it there's there's not a huge difference between the director's cut label and like those DVDs you'll you'll have where it's like the truly outrageous edition, right? <laughs> uh, I mean, look, something like like Apocalypse Now. There's the original cut, which was a director's cut. Yeah, yeah. There's uh, the Redux, Redux, Redo, yeah. Redo, uh, Redux. And then Redux, there's yeah. the final cut, and like <laughs> redo it over again. Yeah, and that Blade <laughs> Runner. I mean, how many cuts mm-hmm. of those are there? Yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Well, you know, when I think about it, I'll I'll never forget when Schnepp insisted I watch its Blade Runner the final cut. Yeah, and I had never gotten through Blade Runner not once. I put put it on and stopped it a bunch of times until I watched that cut. Yeah, and then that one made me get it. Yep, Snap forever being right. That's yeah. that's that's very true when it comes to Blade Runner. I you know I I I like what Scorsese's saying. I I totally agree when he says that a director's cut is the cut that arrives in theaters because of the circumstances surrounding everything that goes into it. But so what is a director's cut? Would I consider the special edition Star Wars, the George Lucas cut, the director's cut? Because that's what he kind of said. That's what he was saying is like, it's not really my vision that I wanted for New Hope, Empire, and Return of the Jedi. And I have problems with those. I think they take away from the original kind of flow of the movies and take me out of the movies. Like what? There was something like in Empire Strikes Back when he showed the Wampa more mm. that took away from that that almost Jaws-like primal fear of, I don't know what the hell is coming for Luke right now, and he better get his lightsaber and get the hell out of there because I can't see anything other than shadows and an arm, and, and then, woo, he comes at it. Look at that. <laughs> <laughs> we okay, have a director's that. cut for this. <laughs> um, but, when, but then when he cuts to the Wampa, and the Wampa's like eating something, and it's obviously a man mm-hmm. in a suit, I'm like, that's not scary anymore. So... That's that's a long-winded thing. I think the director's cut is something like I look at Zack Snyder's Watchmen. I think that he wanted to maybe do something a little bit more, and Warner Brothers stepped in and said, this is the cut we want, and then he had something that he wanted to do. So I can get him going back and going, here's my version. I think it just yeah. changes. It doesn't – does it really matter? I, I, if you want to really, see, the, like, the director's cut, go see it. Yeah, I don't, I don't really think it matters either. I just – I found it interesting in reading, his, in reading his quotes that it's almost like – like, he sees both sides of this where yeah. the director's cut – I like how he puts it at the very beginning where it's almost like the director's cut, the thing that actually hits theaters. Like, that is the cut because it's a thing of circumstance. Again, a director is a very important element of a movie. He is the leader. He is steering the ship or she. But – there's so many other individuals around you and there are so many different things happening, you know, just, you know, what's timely in the world or, you know, other things that are, are placed on a film like, you know, certain studio situations, financial challenges, things like that. And I think you said, said something to the effect of once the, the die is cast, you have to go with it and say that that's the movie I made under those circumstances. So I very much respect that. But then he goes into the peck and paw thing where it seems 
seems like they saw one cut and then MGM insisted on releasing a different cut, so they wanted to see that. I don't know. Like, is there any point in trying to define it anyway? I think as long as a studio doesn't, you know, manipulate the term director's cut just to make an extra buck, then who cares what it means? Well, there's also, you know, contracts involved here with directors, and certain directors get the luxury once they hit a certain pedigree within the business that they have final cut and that they're then that would be their director's cut there's no need to go back to the well and say that oh well spielberg is re-releasing ready player one there's my director's cut no he's long turned in the movie he wanted and that's the director's cut but scorsese's comment on on what Pablo and peckinpah yeah I, there is stuff like that makes me think of david ayer's suicide squad he said there was a lot of studio interference, mm-hmm. and the movie that we saw in theaters was not his vision. So is that his – what's his director's cut? I would say that a Suicide Squad, the way he wanted to do it would be the director's cut. So what about just in general, overall across the board? Would you, would you want more director's cuts released out there or, or less? Uh, you know what I don't like is – the the multiple versions where they want you to buy every version. Yes. Like, I well, like that yeah. if I go and buy Blade Runner and Blu-ray, I get every version of Blade Runner and I can watch them. I despise that if I buy Midsummer and Blu-ray, I don't get the director's cut, but I could sign up for iTunes and buy it there as a separate thing that's only available there. Right. That's dumb. Yeah. That that feels manipulative. Yeah. I'm, I, I, I'm all for a director that comes out and says, listen, this is a cut. We are putting it out there. It's different. It's new. It's my director's cut. You might have to double dip, but I'm interested in that. If that director comes out and says, go see this. This is my director's cut because of whatever reason. This is the way I feel. I'm all for that, but I'm along those lines of whatever makes it in the theaters. That's it. That's the director's it's cut. It's a little There's time ver- capsule. Yes, it's a time capsule. It's everything that he said. It's like the collaboration at the time, the the timing on it, getting things done, all all these different things. It really is a case-by-case basis for me, at least. Does the canon idea bother you guys at all? The fact that maybe you fell in love with one rendition of a movie, but then another cut added something else to the story? Yes. And, you know, the perfect example uh, for me uh, is, is Donnie Darko. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, yeah. Like, right. I think the director's cut is legitimately a bad movie. Mm. And when I watch it, I think... How did the person that made the movie I really liked when I saw make this? Because I feel like you don't understand your own movie now. Interesting. I haven't seen the director's cut, actually. So There's also, I mean, not to spoil Donnie Darko or anything, but like at the end, uh, when, when Jake Gyllenhaal laughs... From the uh, director Richard Kelly's perspective, it's because he thought the entire movie was a dream. And it's like, that's maddening to me because it means that effectively nothing happened. Your character didn't change or evolve at all. He just had a dream. Oh, yeah. So I, I, I'm not a big fan of big dream sequence. It was all a dream. Okay. <laughs> all right, wait. Let's flip that around very briefly. If you could pick one movie out there that has no director's cut available, what would you want to see one for? You know what mm. I really want to see? Uh, so one of my favorite like bad movies, which just got announced for Blu-ray, is 3,000 Miles to Graceland, oh. which is a movie that I don't understand how it got made in the first place because it's this giant big budget crime thriller with 30 actors, like name actors in it that just sort of appear at random points over the running time. Apparently, uh, there was a lot of argument about that movie and uh, Kurt Russell got a cut 
and uh, Kevin Costner got a cut. Mm. And they mm. ended up going with Kurt Russell's. Interesting. But I want to see the Kevin Costner cut of that movie. Okay, that's a good call. That's Anything come to mind, Riley? Oh, God. I, I mean, all right, I'm going to go there. Oh, no. I, I want Zack Snyder's Justice League. Oh, okay. I really do. It, because the, the Justice League we got in theaters was awful. It really was. The movie didn't do well. It's obvious what, what, was, what was going on there. And I'm, a, I'm sorry, I'm a fan of Man of Steel and a fan of Batman v Superman. And to see that vision continue in a Justice League movie that didn't get to go, that didn't go all the way to the end because they let Snyder go, that's the only thing that came to my mind because most movies that I like, that I, I, I don't need a director's cut. So the idea of something that is out there that might make the movie better that connects some dots between Batman v Superman and Man of Steel. Well, that's where I'm going. Somewhat similarly, and granted this wouldn't have a complete movie, but all I want to see is uh, the footage that Lord of Miller got for Solo. Oh boy. I, you that's know, I'm, I'm over yeah. it. I didn't like the movie. I've moved on. It's fine. Yeah, I'm with you on that. But I, it sheer curiosity. Mm-hmm. I'd like to see what, what the tone and what some of the material they were working with was. So Yeah, taking I'm always, chances. I'm always going to want it. I'm with you on that one, too. Mm -hmm. (laughs) All right. Before we say goodbye to everybody, because it's the weekend. It's ahead of us. What do you guys have planned? Is there anything you're planning to watch? Or have you watched anything recently that everybody out there could... uh could use to know about to maybe fill some time over the weekend. Oh, yeah. Well, guess what just uh, released on <gasps> I video. know what you're doing right now, and I like it. Oh, and just in time <laughs> for Halloween, Crawl. Go yes. see Crawl. I finally saw it, and don't do what Riley did, which is miss these movies in theaters. I blew it big time on this. I wish I was in a theater because I was yeah. in my living room screaming with my fiance at every turn. It's a fantastic movie. My God, it is. It, 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 it's a creature feature. Like I say, anytime a creature eats humans, I'm in. And this movie had tension. It had great acting. It had great shots. It had mm-hmm. great music. It had great everything. So it's out there now. Watch it. I watched it uh, just last night and uh, was really excited about it. And for plans for this weekend, horror movies and jack-o'-lantern coverings. So there it is. That's how it should be. There it is. What you got for us, Silas? Very much the same. Horror movies. You know, Criterion just had their... 50% 50% off sale this week, and I somehow justified it to myself by, like, I'll only order horror movies. Yes! That makes it wise spending. Mm. Oh, I uh, want to do that. I think uh, my, I'm going to Florida to visit my Nana. She really wants to see Judy, but I don't know if we're going to have time. But I was thinking about bringing Crawl to show. She would love it. Are she, you serious? I was she just going to say, uh, there's no hurricanes coming to Florida well, this weekend, right? Well, I know. Yeah, good lord. Um, if you do that, please record her reaction. Oh, she, well, yeah, we, we I would did. love that. We, we actually, when I went to visit her the last two times, we reviewed, one time we reviewed Shape of Water together, mm-hmm. and then the other time we reviewed, we reviewed Eighth Grade. So oh, maybe, nice. maybe Crawl should be the third in that series. Yes. <laughs> absolutely, yes. I want to know what she thinks of Crawl. That's, all right, she, all she right. can hang with Crawl? Oh, let me, let me see if I can make this happen. Oh, no promises. Lord. But I can promise you, Movie Talk will be back Monday morning, 9 a.m. Pacific. I hope you join us. Silas Riley, thank you so much for spending your Friday with me. My pleasure. Cody in the booth, thank you so much for your help. To all of you guys out there. Please do not leave this episode of Movie Talk without liking and sharing it. I hope you all have a wonderful weekend, and I will see you bright and early Monday morning.
Napa know-how. At Napa Auto Parts stores and Napa Auto Care centers, get a $25 prepaid Visa card when you get any Napa automotive battery. It's the best deal for some of the best batteries from some of the best car people around. But we might be a little partial. Anywho, pick up any Napa automotive battery and save $25. Do it yourself or have it done for you. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores and Napa Auto Care centers. While supplies last, offer ends 831 it's that little chico pit bull, Mr. 305, better said Mr. Worldwide, and I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, From Negative to Positive, brought to you by my friends over at State Farm. I believe that to have success, you got to play the game, so that the game doesn't play you. You know, the biggest risk you take is not taking one. It's very important that you make sure that you make the most out of your money, especially when it comes to insurance. State Farm offers surprisingly great rates. They have great agents standing by helping you personalize your coverage. All this is backed up by award-winning, easy-to-use technology. It's a great price with an even greater service. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. 